Today's episode of the NBA Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. Unpredictable like Kevin and I's Christmas wish list, which we'll be getting to on the episode today. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Today's show is also brought to you by Mountain Dew. This NBA season, Mountain Dew is all about the threes, the shot that's changing the game. We're going to talk about some of the records that we want to be broken, including three-point records. Brought to you by Mountain Dew, the official beverage of the NBA. Do the do. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin Opinionated, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Christmas. Kevin! <laughs> Verno! Merry Christmas Eve. How you Merry doing? Merry Christmas Eve to you. We do want to remind everybody we were recording this on a Monday, so we will deal with some things that took place over the weekend and since we last talked. But if we don't reference the Monday night games, it's because we have not seen them yet. Kevin, first things first. Over the weekend, out of nowhere, I'm minding my own business, and I see come across my Twitter timeline, Kevin O'Connor, at Kevin O'Connor NBA. Sad to see Ben Simmons turn into Jalil Okafor crossed with Michael Carter-Williams in the fourth quarter. Sixers fans should be furious about his lack of offensive development. Simmons is still a cowardly shooter, a half-court liability, and a detriment to Philly's playoff odds. The tweet heard round the world. <laughs> I mean, what elicited this fire and brimstone from Kevin O'Connor on December 20th, 2019 in the, in the year of our Lord at 1020 p.m.? What do you think elicited it, Chris? I, it, I, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's him. Turning into Okafor, crossed with Carter Williams in the fourth quarter of that game oh. on on Friday night. It like watching Ben Simmons just stand and hover around in the dunker spot is just frustrating. It's a waste of his talents. It's an unwillingness to do what's outside of his comfort zone by at least spotting up in the corner to increase the Philadelphia spacing. It's a symbol of his lack of improvement over the years, and also. Outside of Ben Simmons, it's just a misuse of his talents. I would love to see him, and I've said this for years now, I would love to see him do the Blake Griffin thing where he sets screens and he picks apart defenses on the short roll. He can throw down lob dunks, but Philadelphia doesn't run a lot of pick and roll. And part of that is because of Brett Brown's philosophy. Part of that is because Ben just doesn't really have that mindset as much to, to set hard screens and roll hard. And he's gotten a little better at that, but it's, it's not significant. And with Ben, man, like it was just watching that game and just feeling really frustrated because what he already is, is a good player. He's a good player. 
that's undeniable. He's one of the best defensive players in the NBA in the open court. He's a really good playmaker, but in the half court against good defenses and big games, he's a dud. And that's frustrating, Chris. It's frustrating. And I think it's unforgivable that he hasn't gotten better on the offensive of the floor. So that's what elicited the tweet. It's just another game of many when he did nothing, nothing in the fourth quarter. It's just, I was fed up with it. That's why. A big shout out to our buddy Cole, the host of the fantastic Dissect podcast, who has been a fan and supporter of ours for a long time. I am going to dissect this. Number one, you chose to use the names Jalil Okafor and Michael Carter-Williams. This was intentional by Kevin O'Connor. This was hearkening back to the past of the Philadelphia 76ers and things that are that bring that that it, it, you tried to find here if i am dissecting this things that would disappoint the 76ers fans the most am i correct on that in my dissection i was trying to think of a name that was relatable not to something to disappoint a fan but for a sixers fan i was thinking who is a player <laughs> that was a zero in the half court because of a lack of a jumper i thought Carter Williams, who is a player that can play make Carter Williams, who is a player that stands around on the post and doesn't do anything Okafor. for it wasn't as much about disappointment as much as two players that a Sixers fan could relate to um, <laughs> from their past. And I like, honestly, there was other names that came to mind beforehand, but those were the two that made the most sense. It was obviously the perfect choice that you made you. there. Um, you chose to use the word cowardly. Simmons is still a cowardly shooter, an adjective that has a lot of meaning behind it, Kevin. Why cowardly? Well, because it's true, first of all. Uh, I, I think originally... Could we say actually, hesitant? Could we say hesitant? Could we say... It's a strong word. It's a strong word. And and I, I, it, for this, for this, it was because, you know, you're tying it to the, the, the NBA Twitter meme uh, of uh, Ben Simmons is a coward, afraid of shooting threes. So it was like tying it to the meme, but also it's just the truth. I mean, Brett Brown, what was it? I think seven games ago publicly said he wants Ben to attempt at least one three pointer a game. Since then it's been zero. And that is something like any Sixers fan that like rightfully defends Ben Simmons as being a good player, like you're being too harsh. I understand that. It's just about the little things that add up over time. And some of these instances in which Philadelphia's half-court offense sputters, so much of it can be tied to that Joel Embiid-Ben Simmons dynamic that for years people have talked about how it's an imperfect fit between those two. And that is 100% accurate. It is imperfect, but it can work. It can work better than it has when those two share the floor. And one of the little things that needs to happen is Ben Simmons needs to space the floor from the corner or even sometimes from above the break. Because that way, if he's doing that, it gets him be down to the post where he is at his most lethal. It's about an exchange of positioning on the floor to best maximize the talents of each player. And Ben Simmons is a, not only is he a ineffective shooter who shoots with the wrong hand, he also is a low efficiency post player too. So 
he is somebody that is ranks in like the bottom 25th percentile on post scoring efficiency ever since he's been in the league. And he, if he's not effective there, why is he spending time there when he should be? Maybe, maybe he's two for two on corner threes, two for two. Let's see some more of it, man. Like some, maybe his percentages plummet, but it's at least going to put in bead in the post where he can just pummel defenses, draw double teams, get to the line, get teams into foul trouble. And that it's the domino effect of him showing an unwillingness a cowardice of being unwilling oh. to go behind the line that oh. really just t- takes me off. Don't say it again. I get the shivers when you say it. You could have used the word reluctant, but you chose cowardly. Um, <laughs> now I this I, really look, is a dissect well, podcast right here. Wow, it is a dissect <laughs> podcast. But uh, let me let me just say, man, I mean that is tough luck. To I mean, you think about it. You lose five hundred games on purpose in order to get two stars, and then they don't fit. What, I mean, geez, what terrible luck that is. Ugh, of all the things for them to not fit. After all that losing, then you do get the two stars, and now they don't fit together. Jeez, I hate I w- that. I was thinking about this you over the weekend. <laughs> I was thinking about this over the weekend in regards to my criticism of Ben Simmons, and not just mine, but a lot of people's criticism. And do you, do you think Joel Embiid and gets enough criticism for maybe his lack of improvement as well or is it that Embiid is already so good as a player that it's understandable because of all the injuries that he's had like is there perhaps a cap on what he can be because of all the injuries that he's had and what the the pain that he actually could be playing through um I'm curious about where you land on that the Simmons versus Embiid aspect two things we have seen Joel Embiid in big games be the absolute best player on the floor. Okay? We've seen that. Number two, he is intensely likable. So you are always given, you know, you're always treated with different gloves when you are intensely likable. Um, And then beyond that, I think that people know that Joel Embiid you know, you saw his response and the level of humility he had when Shaq and Barkley went out after him, and then he came out the next game yeah. and looked like the best player on earth. You know, you and, and the constant criticism comes of Ben Simmons, and you hear none of that on the other side. And I, and I was thinking about this the other day. When it comes to, say, uh, Nikola Jokic, you have heard him bring this up before when you have uh, heard Ben Simmons bring it up before. Right. And the criticisms, you know, in Jokic's case, it is the it's the weight and it is the why don't you get yourself in unbelievable shape? Imagine what you could be when we have seen so many around the league choose to do that. Right. He clearly does not take care of himself in the way many of his peers do. And with Ben Simmons, it is all the criticisms that you have levied. And instead of meeting those criticisms with the humility and I'm going to work on this or in Giannis's case, who's the best player in the league right now, saying, hey, people back up off of me 10 feet. I've got to be able to knock down this shot and this continued uh, improvement to get better. People fall in love with that because they can see here are my faults. I accept them. I meet them with humility and I am going to improve them in the case of Jokic and on a, and on a bigger level with Simmons, the response has been, I made $180 million or $200 million playing the way I played. Like that's really how they feel. 
I mean, you can find the quotes. They, they you know, like they get tired of hearing what they can do better because the way I'm doing it has made me over $200 million. And that's a tough spot, right? And I don't think you don't find that with Giannis. Giannis is going to make that money. Embiid's going to make that money. And I think the difference is the way they meet those expectations and they meet those criticisms. And theirs is to go prove themselves, as Embiid did after he was uh, nationally criticized. And Giannis is when they failed in the playoffs uh, or underwhelmed. And then there was a way that you could guard him that would be effective. He decided, I'm not going to, I'm going to take that away from you. Whereas in the case of Simmons on, as I said, a bigger level, but then Jokic also like, what is the impetus to do that? You either have to have the fire in your belly to be the greatest player going, which the other guys do, or you are motivated by like, hey, I've made it. And if you give, if they got max contracts doing what they do, there are some guys out there that it's like, why? Why do I have to do the other thing? Why do I have to do what you criticize me for? I'm doing just fine myself. I'm making $200 million, guys. So you can, you can criticize me all you want. And I don't know. It's just a difference in people. It's a difference in the way they're wired. Sometimes that's the... That's the goal, and it's hard to tell them, hey, you haven't made it, you know? I don't know. I think it's just personality difference, you know? Yeah, and, and that you touched on the, the the response from players when they are criticized. It's like Ben Simmons during preseason was asked about never making a three in a game, and his response was, you're right, I haven't, but I'm an all-star, so. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, you 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 are an all-star, but that doesn't mean that you are a imperfect player. And this is true for, for anybody, no matter what you're doing in life, like no matter what level you're at, there's always ways to improve and to think otherwise. Um, it would be a foolish, uh, a foolish mindset to have. And I, I think I I've asked like a handful of, you know, players, athletes, about like what are what are the the personality characteristics that that you've seen in either high achievers or I, I've framed the question differently, but I know Floyd, Floyd Mayweather said to me before, uh, he's like, "There's a lack of uh, there's never complacency." Um, James James Harden, when I asked him that, said it's about having a vision and the and the willingness to work towards that, and I think that's why you see some of these the highest of high achievers, they just never stop trying to build a Tom Brady, a LeBron James. There's always ways to improve. Um, And with Ben Simmons, he is somebody you look at him and you look at his game. I mean, he is, he's one of the best passers in the league. Uh, Like with his combination of size, speed, athleticism, uh, dexterity as a ball handler, uh, vision, creativity as a passer. He is a magnificent passer. And you see that. You see the way he is on the defensive end of the floor with his versatility and, quite frankly, his intensity uh, and stepping up in, in big matchups and big moments. It's it's nice to see that. But on the offensive end of the floor, I've been on this since pre-draft. He is somebody who he shoots with the wrong hand, with his left hand, and the Sixers Uh, have worked with him there's video footage of him shooting right-handed free throws they have tried to get him to shoot to change shooting hands and he has not been willing to do that Uh, understandably so because it's such an outside of the box weird thing to do to change your habits for so long but the facts are the facts are that he attempts over 75 percent 
of his shot attempts other than jumpers with his right hand. He is a right-handed player. He has shown better touch with his right hand on floaters, layups, hook shots, everything. And not only just the touch aspect, yeah. but the comfortability. And he is an uncomfortable player with his left hand, which makes him predictable on the post. He is uncomfortable shooting with a left hand, even though he does it from the line and from, uh, from three. He is somebody who teams have not yet utilized hack a Simmons to the level that maybe they could in a game six or game seven scenario. And that's something that could happen down the line because of his poor free throw. Yeah. Shooting. And, well, and here's it. It's so many frustrating little right. things on the offensive end that yes, you are an all-star because of what you do well, but you are a player who, if you improve these weaknesses, even a little bit, you can be an MVP. Yeah. And, like and that's the frustration. Last thing, uh, last thing on this. It, look, I've seen it with a million players over the years. The one thing that is easiest to fix is shooting. That's just practice. I've seen guys that were not good shooters become great shooters. Kawhi Leonard wasn't known as a as a shooter coming out of San Diego State. We're seeing it with Giannis right now. That is just going to the gym and doing it and repetition and repetition and repetition. That can absolutely improve. And he appears to have. Very little interest in in doing that. Um, since we last spoke, Kevin, the NBA proposal that we had spoken about a few weeks ago um, is going to be talked about. Um, and the update on this was that there would be a big prize pool. You know, that was my concern with the in-season tournament uh, that the NBA would be proposing. What is the reward? Why do I care a lot about this? Well. We got an answer to that, and I will tell you, I I think it is uh, very persuasive in terms of uh, me thinking that guys would care. A million dollars per player. Now, Bobby Marks tweeted this out over the weekend, and I think this puts this in real perspective. It is important to know that 50% of the NBA players earn $4 million or less, including 142 below $2 million. Only 29% of NBA players earn above the 9.5 average player salary, including 50 that top 20 million. And so we have seen the we've seen the middle class for all intents and purposes go away in the NBA. There's guys that make a ton of money and there's guys that don't make all that much money. And so when you are talking about that amount, when you're talking about over 50% of the league making four million or less. You better believe that a million-dollar prize pool for each player is a massive, massive prize um, that people would, I think, players would care deeply about winning. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is this is a nice. So I was happy about this. Yeah, this is this is great to see, and uh, I think the NBA making the the knockout round games count towards the regular season is important. Uh, because you want to win a regular season game, so you're trying to win anyway. I, I think. There's something out there about like players might rather the five days of rest uh, instead of playing in the the tournaments. Um, that might be true, but I don't think you're going to try to lose games in the knockout round knowing that you're actually just losing regular season games on purpose. I, I wouldn't expect that to happen, um, especially with the cash reward in there in the tournament. What will be interesting is, you know, I reported weeks ago that it was at least discussed to have the tournament games also count towards the regular season standings. And of course, Bill Simmons put out his big proposal to have those games count towards the regular season standings and some sort of, you know, 
bonus point system. Um, I do wonder if maybe the, the NBA, I think it makes sense for them to start with this for the first year of the tournament, see how this works with the cash reward and just the, the, the nature, the natural, you know, the natural push to try to win games. Players are competitive. It doesn't matter the setting. It doesn't matter the situation. Players want to win. And maybe this is enough of a reward. One million bucks is a heck of a lot of money for a lot of players in the league, as you mentioned. And just the fact that you want to win games. And I think this is something people joke about it. I see so much out there saying this is the dumbest idea. I don't, I don't, I don't agree at all. I think this is something that's going to make December during the regular season, really, really interesting. And it's something that I imagine if this past week in Las Vegas, this past week has been the G league showcase. Everybody from the NBA has gone there to watch G league prospects to scout. And it has coincided with college games being played in Vegas too. imagine if also the championship games for the tournament were taking place in Vegas in December. It's a, it could be a big NBA event in Las Vegas every December where all 30 teams go there for G league showcase for tournament and for whatever college games are there. It's something that fans could perhaps want to go there just like they do already for summer league in July. I think it could be a great mid season event I, I, for the I, NBA. Yeah, I do too. I love this. I mean, look, I love single elimination. I love the idea that maybe the Hornets or somebody get it on a run Behind yeah, Devontae be Graham, I'd and they that. end up in the final four of this. Like, I, wh- why not? I mean, people are people are in tune to what's going on in college football and NBA or NFL, and there's so much competition going on. Why not? Is my opinion, and I just I was just worried about the prize and how much teams would care about this, and and the prize is great to me. Um, I like 78 regular season games. I like the 30 team in season tournament. I, I like postseason play for the seven through 10 seeds. I'm fine with that. The only thing I don't like is reseeding conference finalists. That's it. Because I told you, I want it to stay east and west, and I don't think it should be reseeded for regular season record when it is, over the course of the last 15 years, been much easier to win 55 games in the east than it has in the west. And so to me, that's not right. Unless you are going to play a more balanced schedule across the board, rewarding teams for their regular season wins is not necessarily fair when the conferences have been uh, as uh, the conferences have have had such a disparity in terms of ability to win X number of games. Winning 60 games in the East is not like winning 60 games in the West. And so that's the only one I'm against. It's imperfect for sure. Yeah. I, I personally, you know, am a fan of just having no conferences at all, period. Yeah, right. Like but that's, that's not that, that's unrealistic, but yeah. I, I do think this at least gets us one foot towards that. That's fine. And, and and that's the way I feel about it. That like we're not to where my ideal NBA, you know, rule is, uh, but we're getting closer. Uh, so it's imperfect, but it's a step forward, and maybe it kind of uh, uh, normalizes lack of conferences. You know, uh, I, I think that that could be something where then be, it becomes the norm uh, to go away from what's traditional. Even though, I mean, to your point, like it would be, we would miss out on having some of those uh, rivalries within a conference. But I, I, rivalries would still exist. It's just more about what's fair with a yeah. balanced schedule. Uh, so hopefully the league can move towards that with fewer regular season games with more midseason tournaments, maybe, or the play in tournament, whatever format, I think moving towards that over the next decade should be a priority. 
All right, Kevin. Well, this is our Christmas Eve episode, which means Christmas is tomorrow. That being said, we are going to give three NBA Christmas wishes that we have. You want to start or you want me to go first? And I'm going to bet that we don't overlap in this since we've only got three. I'll start. I'll right. start. Um, I want to see James Harden score 82 points in a game. Oh! Uh, I, I want to see him surpass Kobe. Uh, I wouldn't mind a hundred Wilt Chamberlain, but that's very, that's pushing it. I want to see James Harden score at least 80 in a game this season. I think that would be an unbelievable thing to watch because we've seen Harden have those 50 and 60 point games, but they're blowouts. What we need is a Rockets game that is close. That happens to be a night that Harden having a special performance. I want to see him push for that. I want to see it happen. And I also want to see how people talk about it afterwards. People like you and me, fans on Twitter, fans on Reddit. I want to see how people talk about Harden because, because there's so much hate towards him as a player, which you, we've debated about this many, many times, Chris. I love his creativity and his drive to get better as a player every single season in the little ways and in the big ways. And for him, if he's able to 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 pa- surpass Kobe in all-time single-game points, I think maybe a moment like that could maybe shift the tide in the conversation and the way in which we talk about him. Well, we actually do coincide on this oh. mine is mine is a little bit different but it was all right with all this pace and space and all this uh you know the the absence of hand checking and freedom of movement and guys coming in in their first couple of years in the league having such success and earlier in the year we talked about how three of the highest PERs ever recorded were all happening this season with Giannis Harden and Luca I I my, mine was actually Records, And I say this because if we're going to do all this and we're going to have these massive high scoring games and we're going to see these guys put up these kind of numbers, then we then then we got to have records set. And I say that because, you know, earlier in the year, people have likened it almost to the steroid era and saying, hey, maybe we need to judge this a little bit differently. Okay, well, at least in the steroid era, what did we get? We got Bonds and so, or I mean, we got Sosa and McGuire, and then we got Barry Bonds, and we got these all-time records being set. And I understand that those have now been looked upon, you know, frowning. But in this case, if we're going to have this kind of basketball and everybody's shooting a million threes, we got to get records set. So I listed all of them. Well, something's got to give. And so that is points. As you said, Kobe's 81 was 2006. So we've had 13 years since somebody did that, 14 once the calendar turns. I don't expect anybody to get 100, but the the most we've had in recent times has been Booker's 70. And so this is totally possible. Assists, it's been almost 30 years, Kev. The number's 30. Scott Skiles had 30 assists in a game in 1990. All right, rebounds is off the table. That's 55 <laughs> for Will Chamberlain. Like no wow. one's ever like no one. That's 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 unattainable. Steals is Kendall Gill and uh, Larry Keenan. The 11 steals in a game. Um, we got points in a quarter, which was Clay 37 in a quarter. I mean, that's 2015. So that's going to be a hard one to get. Um, and 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 it's hard because you wonder, given everybody's you know, rest and everything else and load management. Would anybody stick with a player, 
you know, what are the chances that you're having that kind of a night in a game that you're not destroying someone like the Clay games and like some of these others? And so I don't know if we'll get there, but we got to get some of these records set. I went and looked up the highest scoring game ever was 1983. It was 370 points. Okay. But it went to triple overtime. It was a game between the Detroit Pistons and the Denver Nuggets. It was 186 to 184. Did we had a game in the 150s, right? Rockets Wizards. And that was that was regulation. Like at the very beginning of the season, didn't we? What was this? What was that? What was that? 150 something to 150 something, right? I think. Okay, so I mean if it went to triple overtime, we'd have a chance at that, right? So here's what I'm saying. Rockets Wizards was 159-158. Yeah, that goes to triple overtime that could get there. And then last season we had Bulls Hawks 168-161 and that game went four overtimes. And I looked this up just now that the highest scoring regulation game in the regular season ever was a 1990. It was between the Warriors and Nuggets. Warriors won 162 to 158. That's the highest scoring regulation game. Well, so that Rockets Wizards was three points off of that. Damn. All right. Well, that, that, yeah, that's what that's what I want. If we're going to do this and we're going to have all these numbers being set, I don't want like just numbers like, oh, it's the most three-pointers in a season and it's this and this. I want ones that like will stand, you know, the test of time. Like record, like let's redo some of this record book and and have somebody achieve some of these single game things that have held forever. All right, what's your number two? My number two, I want to trade any trade, any trade. I don't care. And I've heard, <laughs> I've heard a guy like Willie Cauley Stein could be available. I've heard Alex Len could be available. I have heard Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Marvin Williams. I don't care if it's one of those guys. I want to trade. I don't need a big trade. I don't need a blockbuster. I don't need a surprise star in the move. I just want to trade. The last trade we've got was Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. It's been so long. We're deprived, Chris. We need a trade. Give are it to me. Say, are you saying are you saying Willie Collie Stein is like available for to do housework or something? <laughs> when, he, when he said he's available? Yeah, he, he he's a yes. I I have heard for specifically. I have heard uh, <laughs> if you need a, if you need a, if, if you need if, if you need like uh you know so, some guy to be able to reach something that's very high. <laughs> oh jeez, oh boy, yeah, oh boy, boy. Yeah, I, so. that, that, I tell you this, that's the first name you mentioned when you said you want to trade. Oh, wow. <laughs> I yeah, mean, just give me a that, trade. Well, that, that's all. That, just, just just give me a trade. That one doesn't do it for me. Let's just say. I just want to uh, trade. I just want to trade, man. Come all right. On. I am number two. I want Clippers Rockets playoffs. We've we've gotten to see this and we we we've had like totally combustible situations twice already. We have seen Doc like both of these teams hate officials. You have Doc Rivers goes bananas on officials, as does Pat Bev and the Clippers. And then you have the Rockets who will like write a letter every time they lose because of officials. And so then we have seen Doc's kid get him thrown out and try to get him thrown out of a game the first time they mentioned. <laughs> yeah. So you got that whole thing going on. And then in the last game, Lou Williams gets thrown out of the game. Like, like, I mean, with tons of times left, which he is not exactly uh, the type of guy that you expect to uh, combust. But the, 
between the Westbrook Beverly thing, between the Austin Rivers and his dad thing, between Harden and and Doc uh, and and the rest of them getting so mad at officials, and then just the the superstar power in that. Like I think that could be. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that could just hate watch it, but in terms of like a matchup. Yes, give me that in the playoffs. Like, make that as high leverage as it can be because we're talking about just regular season games and things have gone absolutely haywire and these guys have gotten mega passionate. If you make that mean everything and you put those teams in the playoffs, oh, my God. And I think they'd end up just hating each other's guts. And we need that. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Uh, That gift will take a while to be rewarded, you know. That's April, fair. April, May, but I, I hope I hope we do get that. All right. Um, Your last one. I want I want Ja Morant to successfully leap over a player and dunk <laughs> the ball. We saw the almost moment against Kevin Love oh. uh in a in a game last week. I want him to successfully do that in a game. That would have been the greatest in game dunk in NBA history. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean the the, the amount of the amount of conversation <laughs> and the amount of highlights that was for a miss. <laughs> I know. I'm going to tell you this. I, I was watching, uh, what was on? Oh, I was watching Sports Center the next morning. They had a highlight, or like they did like a, a, a top 10, or maybe it was like a top five or whatever. They did miss dunks. It was like their countdown of miss dunks. And I'm going to tell you, there are some that were just. Like, absolutely spectacular. People can go find this and look it up. There was one where I think it was in the Team USA game. DeRozan, on the break, did a 360. <laughs> a two-handed 360 on the break. Contested and almost made it. You have the Oladipo one where he caught it on the side of the backboard. When he's at Indiana, he caught it with one hand all the way behind his head and almost destroyed the rim. And then you have one where Vince Carter, it's like an inbounds, and the guy throws it off the backboard, and he catches it down at his hip and almost finishes it. But it was hilarious. It was like a highlight reel of missed dunks, and they were absolutely spectacular, like the Morant one. But Morant, yeah, it's it'll happen. It'll happen. Unless everybody just starts getting out of the way. Um. All right, my last and, one. Well, well, one other thing, though. One yep. other thing. By the way, just Memphis, three games back from the eight seed. Just had to point that out. Yeah, but three they, three games back. That, well, and they play uh, the Spurs on Monday night. Uh, they the last week. I mean, they coughed up a twenty four point lead in Oklahoma City and a fifteen point lead in Cleveland back to back. Two games, or else they'd be right there. They would pretty, be right pr- there. Pretty pretty wild. Still so it many is. teams. Four and a half games oh, separating OKC, Portland, Sacramento, San Antonio, Phoenix, Memphis, Minnesota. Well, think how much wild. how much how think how much fun that makes that play in then. Oh, geez. If it goes I down know. to ten. Oh, it'd be so great. Well, and I you just it. think about last year. The Lakers would have been in that thing. Yeah. You want to face exactly. LeBron? You know, with a play in chance to get to the you're right. And then if you're the number one seed or somebody, you got to face LeBron, who's in there as the eight. And that's what makes it so fun, yes. man, because like, it's the type of thing. Let's let's just say the play-in tournament was in there this year. Right now, Golden State would only be six back. <laughs> and, and I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying, yeah. like, if Steph were to return and if, like, they had incentive and reason to get Clay back, 
I'm just saying they would not be totally out of it. And that to me makes the league a lot more exciting in that March, April month where sometimes it just drags a little bit towards the end of the year where all but maybe one or two playoff teams are determined. If you have that playing tournament, there are so many more teams that are still in it and have a shot, not just teams that suck not as much as other teams, but teams that had injuries, like you mentioned LeBron last year on the Lakers, or this year with Curry and Clay being out, those teams still can feel like, hey, we're fighting for something. And the fans can be invested and feel like, hey, we got a chance here. And that makes the league overall better from October until April when the postseason begins. Give it to me. My last one is, and this is not obviously going to happen this year, but it is my Christmas wish that happens over the court, maybe maybe for next year. So we've seen all of these, you know, you can be watching League Pass or you can be going to games and you see all these different jerseys now, right? You have the city jerseys and then sometimes they have the throwback jerseys and there's all kinds of variations of the jerseys, right? I want, and it will be, I guess, what, between 30 and 40 years that these were worn since. I want these teams to come back when they have them available. So for the Grizzlies, they can wear Vancouver. For Toronto, they can wear the one with the dinosaur on them. But I want these teams, I want the 80s jerseys back. And I know there have been some variations of these that have come back. But I want the Larry Nance on the Cavs, just totally basic with the basketball in between the V for Cavs. I want the Isaiah Thomas, like all red, white, and blue rimmed. Pistons jerseys with the huge number, right? That's kind of like at the the belly and then the stripes down the side. I want the Reggie Miller Indiana Pacers ones across the chest. I want the lower case, uh, the lower case blazers. Those ones, (laughs) right? I I want the Akeem Olajuwon Rockets ones. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of the 90s ones came back. I want the 80s ones. I want that Dominique, the the dunk contest uh, Hawks one. Where it just right where the it's like red, white, and yellow, and it's got the white bar across the chest that just says Hawks across it. Like the '80s jersey, I love those '80s jerseys. Um, I grew up on those uh, in in some form. Uh, the baby blue Kings ones. Ooh, those those. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. How about the how about the Bulls Chicago ones with just the curse of Chicago across them? I want the '80s jerseys back. We got all these new jerseys. Most of the city jerseys are pretty awful. Like. Go back and give me these, like the true throwback ones from the 80s. It's time. I want those back. And so, and I love the way those look, like most of them. And they all look like retro now. And uh, yeah, I don't I don't want like a new take on the old jerseys. I want them to wear the old jerseys for their throwback jerseys. All the teams. You know what I want that you're touching on? Yeah. And this this idea first came to mind back in 2012. I went to the Sweet 16 games in Boston for, for the NCAA tournament. It was my first time at a game at TD Garden without like the loud music playing, without the jumbotron flashing stuff on the screen, without, you know, all these big theatric bits theatrics between plays. I would love Ever since that day, I've always felt that that atmosphere was so unique and interesting and cool where it was a band playing and neutral crowd. I want to see something like that in every NBA arena where you have like a a 70s night and and they attempt to capture the vibe from the arena in, in the 70s where they only play the music that they were playing then, if any at all, where they attempt to just capture the vibe. I want a 50s night where it's like 
you come to a game wearing a suit, you get a free bobblehead or whatever. I want a 90s night. I, I want to see these vintage style games in which it, it takes us away from what we typically see. Everybody clap your hands. I, I don't want that. I want a game in which it's a throwback night. Oh, I'm all with you on way. this. I like this. You know, it, it, there is not. You know, because of a game presentation and the expectation of fans, whatever, you don't have most of the time when things happen like this, you see them like the awesome stuff. You see this happen in minor league baseball, right? Bill Veck's son, there's a great book about this I read one time. He's tried, he's the guy that's tried everything. Um, and Bill Veck, the fa- famous uh, baseball pioneer, tried everything. And, and in the NBA, you don't see this a lot where teams try this. It, it just so happened. I watched a game a few weeks ago. It was a college basketball game and the, it was locally broadcasted and the mics didn't work for the announcers. <laughs> so the only thing there was, was the microphone. And all you could hear was like the dribbling, the squeaking of the shoes and then the crowd reactions. And you had nothing to paint the image of like what you should. The only thing I missed was like finding out how many points somebody had or whatever, but I could look that up on my phone. But I loved it. I really did. Look, and I, I I like announcers too, but it was nice to watch a game where it was just, and I know you said you've watched a lot of games on mute, but it was a fun experience just to watch it and it just be the basketball. But you have to have so many lights and things to entertain the fans. You have to have like, you know, you got to have dancers and you got to have t-shirt cannons and you got to have all that kind of stuff that's entertaining. People won't be, if you did it, Fully, Kevin, you'd have, you know, 20,000 people just sitting there on their phone until the game starts again. <laughs> Seriously. They're on their phone anyway. I know. I know. I know. People are on their phones anyways. Have you ever done play-by-play? I have when I was in college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you when like I, doing it? No, I'm not good at it. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm not good. I'm, I'm not I'm not good at it. I, I have a special affinity for people with that exceptional talent. Um. Yeah, I just, I, I don't know. It's the keeping up with the action and the being descriptive of what's happening. Um, you know, you're, you're, I, I, you're having to remember time and score, time and score all the time. Like, I mean, I can do it, but I'm just not, that's not, that's, that's not my gift. It always amazes me talking to broadcasters. The amount of prep oh. that goes into a game is remarkable. Um, they make it look so easy to, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? I watch somebody like, uh, like, I love Kevin Harlan, and I watch Kevin Harlan, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. Like, seriously, like, unbelievable. If you tried to do that, if you sat somebody down, people think they, that is one job that I hope people know. You can't do that. Like, you're not going to be, <laughs> like, that is 20 to 30 years of just being absolutely unbelievable and honing your craft to be able to sound like those guys do. They are great at it. it takes so many games to be good at it. It probably comes from being like a 10-year-old kid and muting the game and talking about it yourself. That way you get those years of repetition before you're ever even in college for that matter. Yeah. Um, someone that just always has like had a love for broadcasting or loved hearing the announcer's voice and then they want to do it themselves. Um, you know, it, it's it's like really cool to see someone, for example, my friend Noah Eagle, the, the son of Ian Eagle, longtime broadcaster on TV. Noah is the radio broadcaster for the Clippers now, just moved to LA before the season. It's really cool to see him, for example. He's really good at what he does. 
you know, following in his father's footsteps, who's obviously, obviously been great. Oh, football, I bet he, I bet he's been calling years. games awesome. since he was twelve. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seriously. Yes. And that's what it takes. I mean, look, I mean, for anybody that's out there that wants to do it, practice, practice, practice. You can do well at it. I just never, I, that was never my, that was never my goal. That's not what I practiced doing. I wanted to be a talk show host. It, it's like if you and me were ever on a, a live broadcast, I think it would end up sounding a lot like a live podcast. It would be, we would Probably talk so. about the game that was happening in front of us, but it would be the back and forth conversation surrounding the game. Yeah. Calling the yeah. action is much harder. Uh, yes. You know what? And, 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 and to your point about that throwback night, there are just so many people that are scared to do something different. You see teams taking risks on like video boards and stuff. Yes. Um, and some of those bits, which is great. But I mean, I mentioned that guy, Bill Vex kid earlier. I remember one of them. Now think about how hilarious this is. And now he can try everything at minor league baseball. One night he did. I thought this is the funniest thing ever. He did mime instant replay. Okay. What? So what he, so yeah. So this is what he did for their night. He took, so he, he, he hired these mimes, right? And they went on top of the dugout. And so after the play was over in the baseball game, the mimes would act out the play that just took place, right? <laughs> on the, so instead of like watching the instant replay on the video board, you watched mimes on the top of the dugout acting out what just happened in the game. It was called Mime Instant Replay. <laughs> it's the funniest damn thing ever. Is there a video out there of this? I don't know. I've, I've never know. looked it up. I've never looked it up. I, I, I just searched for it. I didn't find anything, unfortunately. But if anybody, if anybody finds yeah. my instant replay, please oh, send mean, it to me and Chris. Please. I mean, you want to talk please. about abso absolutely hilarious. But I mean, like stuff like that that you would try. Somebody could pull that off. Like if you did that in the end zone of a basketball game, that, that would be so damn hilarious. Because you know everybody looks to the video board to see if it was a foul or to see what was happening or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, in baseball, he did that so that they would have instant replay because they didn't have like, they had like no video board. <laughs> but they wanted to have instant replay. So we just hired mimes to like act out the game. <laughs> Nobody thinks like that in the NBA, you know, uh, to do I, I something now, I now so hysterical. See, I want to see a mime now doing like James Harden drawing a foul. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be unbelievable. It'd be Ho so great. Hopefully, you know, we're getting younger and younger in the NBA. Somebody will come along and just say, why not? Why not try this? Why not try that? I mean, that's I mean, what happened. That's what happened with Cuban with so many things. He he was, in fairness, Cuban it was, was way ahead of the curve on so many things. With the grannies and grandpas and all, like, why not try this? Why not try this? Why not try this? You know, and so you just need, you need that to come along. I think we're moving towards that. I mean, yeah. I, I, internet culture is becoming so intertwined with, with reality. I mean, I know before in the past that you're, you'd say, like, your real-life friends versus your internet friends. Well, now <laughs> your internet friends are your real-life friends. <laughs> yep, <laughs> Even if you don't sure. know them in person, it's like our lives are so, you know, for the most part, you know, just connected and tied to our online personas or whatever, um, no matter if you're in high school or no matter like if you're, you know, celebrities or whatever, it's so connected now that I think internet humor that in the past, maybe some people didn't get, I always say before memes went mainstream, um, that I think internet culture wasn't something that people, you know, that was, it wasn't something that was used as humor and on not on mainstream media, but now memes went mainstream and that type of humor that's always been funny on the internet is now kind of infiltrating, Absolutely. you know, baseball games, like you said, or whatever. And uh, it's infiltrating the way 
brands talk, you know, at Wendy's, the brands communicate on Twitter. They use that type of humor to promote their own brand. And I think maybe, maybe we're moving towards that, Chris, where we're going to start seeing more weirdness at sporting events um, as as weirdness on the internet becomes more mainstream. Here's hoping uh, for everybody or, out or, there. Or not. <laughs> Might not be a good thing. <laughs> who knows? Uh, thank you to everybody who has listened to us uh, throughout the year. And we're hopeful that all of you have a great Christmas. Um, last thing, Kevin, is mom going to be able to be home for Christmas? I should be able to. Uh, today, recording on Monday the 23rd, maybe coming home either later tonight or hopefully tomorrow morning. Uh, that's what it sounds like. So I think she'll be home for Christmas, which is awesome. Her recovery is going well so far. The ultimate Christmas wish. That'd be great. Yes, you get the exactly, whole family yeah. together for a Christmas. Uh, thank you to all of you for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. We hope all of you have a wonderful holiday season and Christmas. Kevin, I will talk to you later this week. Yeah, looking forward to it, Chris. And happy holidays, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thanks, Bobby, for producing. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. If you do get your hearing, go give us a rating or review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you later this week.